Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, and it's another attempt at recording my intro segment. Guys, I got on today, I got my whole intro segment done, and I am in round two. I don't usually share my uh, technical mishaps with you, but this one was great. I got done with it, and there was nothing there, there was no sound, and then I just spent the last 30 minutes dicking around with my computer to get it working again. And I thought I was ahead for a day, that I'd get done early and get some work done outside, but that just knocked the crap out of that. Anyway, what is it today? It is Thursday. That's right, it is Thursday. It is time for a listener call show. It is November the 30th, 2017, episode 21, 22, 2,122 times, plus some rewinds we have gotten together over the years, nine and a half of them there, in fact. So most of you that listen to the show regularly know what I'm about to say now, but hey, new people, how do you get on the show? How the hell do you get... To be one of these people on the show and be heard by a whole bunch of other people and get your question answered. Well, you pick the phone up, you call the Think line. That's 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. What do you do when you do that? You call from a quiet area. You don't run chainsaws or motorcycles or you know, weed eaters or leaf blowers while you're doing it. Or any of that nonsense. If you're in a vehicle, shut the dadgone windows. So you're like, blah, 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 like that because I get one of those every once in a while. And then look at your cell phone. If you're on a cell phone, if you got one measly bar, don't call now. Wait till you have at least two because there'll be nobody to tell you that you sound like this. Hi, Jack. This is... I get at least one of those a week. At least one of those a week. When you make your call and you do get through it and you hear the magical recording uh, technology of the Internet, you leave me your message, you do it like this. You might say something like, Hi, Jack. This is so-and-so calling from somewhere and... I want to thank you for the show or something like that. If you want to do something intro like that, it's fine. But then immediately get to your question or your point. Get that done in one or two sentences flat. Then give me the details. So bottom line them up front, and then the details. It'll go better. You'll be more likely to get through the screening, and you'll be more likely to get on the air. Help me help you. And if you don't want to do it on the phone, but you want to do it on your computer and you got a microphone, you go to the speak pipe. The magical speak pipe. You just go to the survivalpodcast.com, scroll down until you see the speak pipe button, mash it, start talking. As long as you got a microphone, you'll be able to send me a message Through the magic of the interwebs, no net neutrality required. Uh, anyway, so what are we going to talk about today? What calls do we have? I got some cool stuff for you guys today. How about what to do when selling off a rental home, get another one, or pay debt off? First one worked out pretty well, but in a quandary here. How about a can opener and Alexa from Amazon and not related to the can opener? One of the most oddly doubled up questions I've ever heard. Guy wants a recommendation for a can opener. That's fine. I can do that in about three seconds. And uh, a bunch of hype about Alexa from Amazon being liberal and spying on you for the NSA. And I'm not saying it doesn't. I think every audio device is probably spying on you. But this is a big, giant thing this guy Crowder, Louder with Crowder guy did. Generally, I find him entertaining. I'm going to tell you why I think the whole thing's complete and total faked bullshit. I'll even demonstrate it with my own Dare I say it, Alexa, but I don't use Alexa as a wake word. And we'll talk about what wake words are when we get there, too. Uh, we have finding an opportunity in flowers that are going to be thrown away out of New Jersey. Flowers, yeah. Side hustle, yeah. Dig side hustles, flowers or otherwise. Thoughts on Harbor Freight jerry cans and why I still don't like them. Uh, and it ain't the can itself this time. Probably, maybe, I guess. Uh, next up, I have often said that Bitcoin is... is Infinitely fractionable. Infinitely fractionable. It's really a turn of phrase. I mean that in a practical sense, but the guy called in to correct me on that. But then he made a claim that is 
just not true. He's right about his point, but what he says that point means is just completely disconnected from fact. Uh, not to put him down, but I'll explain why that's not true, because it's important if you want to understand money and economics and where the world goes with cryptocurrency going forward. Uh, next, I have a question on getting started in aquaponics and choosing materials. The guy has a bill of materials. I'm going to tell you why I might spend about 100 bucks more, maybe 150 bucks more overall, to be a hell of a lot happier, especially long term. I have a question on putting together a gun cleaning kit for a Christmas gift from a gal. And I have saving money by buying a used rental vehicle from Enterprise Sales. And I'll give you my thoughts on that and why it may or may not be a good play. All of that and more in just a bit. Before we do that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is jmbullion.com. Let me tell you a little bit about jmbullion and why I love them so much. Recently, I was contacted by probably one of the largest silver houses in the world. I won't say who they are, but a guy I've had on the show a couple times, and I've been on his show, Chris Martinson, advertises for them, along with Robert Kiyosaki and some other people on Fox News, F-A-U-X, Fox News. And uh, just out of curiosity, I, I, when I was having this email contact, I said, uh, can I have your CEO or your president's email address so if anything goes wrong, I can let them know about it? And they said, well, well no. So, well, then no, I'm not interested. I wasn't interested anyway because I believe with my sponsors, I don't want to dilute them. And I have a loyal sponsor in Jam Bullion. It's been with us about six years. Better pricing anyway than the, you know, the three biggest silver houses. You want to find them, you can figure out who they are. Better pricing than them anyway. And I got the, the President Michael's email. And let me tell you a quick story about when I first brought these guys on. I, I started to question myself a little bit because... In the first month, I had like two customer service problems. And then in the third month, I had like, or second month, I had like another one. And then in the third month, like two more. But every time I got one, I forwarded that issue to the president. His name is Michael Whitmer. And I got a response from him that was basically, I will take care of this. Very blunt, very matter of fact. And then he would copy me on a personal apology to the customer. But his response to me was, I will take care of this. And I, because I don't want bullshit. Right from a spot. I want. I will take care of this, and he did every single time. And as this went on, I said, "You know, Michael, I want you to know I'm not being a, a dick about this or nothing." And he said, "Oh, I know, I know. I appreciate you. We've had some customer service issues, and we've been unable to track them down. But because people are going through a unified source in you at this, and we can actually get this information to me at the top, I can go fix it. So thank you. And by the end of that first year, the complaints." on the customer service side of Jam Bullion dried up and blew away like a fart in the wind. And for five years, I hadn't had one. That's why you get my solid recommendation for Jam Bullion, 100%. Better pricing, amazing customer service. And by the way, if you're an MSB member, you get a discount on silver and gold. How badass is that? Oh, I'll order shit free, too. How cool is that? Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Hey, you ever notice in a disaster? Like, we need bottled water and we're pissed at Best Buy because they're daring to charge $1.83 a bottle and that's evil and that's where you go to get water anyway, right? But, like, in all of that, you look around, there's, like, water everywhere. Because it's usually, like, flooding and shit when people don't have water and they can't drink the water that's right there. Well, while I wouldn't spend my days going out and getting waters out of mud puddles and putting them in a Berkey, If I had to, I wouldn't be too afraid to drink that water at that point. That's how good it is. And guess, I'll tell you what, 
my water that I drink every day goes through a Berkey and has for eight years now, I guess, is what go when I got my big Berkey. I have a Berkey sitting right in my, my kind of my, my big pantry and on the side of the kitchen. That's where all drinking water comes from. And I think you should too. And here's why. I'm on a well. If something goes wrong with my watershed, I probably won't know for months. But even if you're on city water, you know how they always say, like, we have a boil water advisory until further notice. By the time they tell you that, you've been drinking that shit water for like, oh, a week or two or a month. Yeah, that's because that's when they find out about it. When somebody gets sick, I mean, you've already been drinking it. It's a great safeguard. It makes your water taste great. And for your brewers, I'm telling you, you guys start making your, your, your meads and your beers and your wines. When you get your water, you put it through that Berkey first. You're going to get better results. So check out Jeff, the Berkey Guy Gleason, today at Directive21.com. That's his website again, Directive21.com. And before I take your calls, let's go ahead and hear about the year in history. i got a short segment today for you from the year 75 A.D. as we journey through history with David Verne, a problematic senator. Vespian continues with reforms the following year, following the year of four emperors. And surprisingly... He doesn't include any purges. I'm going to stop right there for a second. That's probably why he stayed emperor for a while. When you don't kill people, they don't kill you back. I'm just saying. Anyway, instead of packing the Senate full of corrupt supporters, he ensured that the morale and moral and effective men stay in power while getting rid of the most corrupt. He even extends financial aid to senators who have fallen below the wealth requirements. Unlike past emperors, Vespian stays out of the way free debate and encourages people to speak their mind without fear of being imprisoned. However, a certain senator by the name of Helvidius Priscius was a vocal supporter for free speech and very outspoken on his ideas that the emperor should do nothing without consent of the Senate. Vespian commented it saying, quote, I will not kill a dog simply for barking, end quote. Priscius kept trying to see how far he could push Vespian eventually was banished from Rome. My take by David Verne. This was an isolated case during Vespian's reigns, and he will never implement anything resembling the treason trials. Even in America, where free speech is one of our fundamental rights, certain things are considered illegal, such as shouting fire in a crowded theater or calling for the overthrow of the government. It's interesting to me that calling for the overthrow of the government would be considered illegal because, in essence... Every time we make a case for a new president or what have you, we are, in fact, overthrowing our government. That's actually how a democratic republic works. See, it's our government supposed to be a democratically elected representative republic. We're not a democracy. We're a republic. I freaking said that, you morons that I always have to get up. I'm so angry at you. You said we're a democracy. We are a democracy. We're not a pure democracy. We're a, a democracy in the form of a republic. And that's what a true republic that's based on democratic ideals is supposed to be. The reason you should have very few true, you know, bloody revolutions in such a republic is if people really unite and decide they don't want what they have, they always have the ability to change it. So why doesn't it happen? Because it requires a well-educated, self-sufficient, self-reliant people that love liberty to run a republic. Even though I'm an anarchist in principle, and I think, I think there should be no state, when we look at our government, if we look at it as a car, there ain't a damn thing wrong with the car. The problem is the drivers. Us. My thoughts by Jack Spierko. 
Next up, let me remind you, if you like this show, the work that we do, the education that we provide, the timeless dedication that we put into making sure that we have this show out for you, you know, except when we're on vacations and stuff like that, five days a week, 50 probably 50 weeks a year, 50, 48 weeks a year. I have somewhere between 48 and 50 weeks a year. I have a show every day for you. One of the ways you can make sure that always happens is by supporting our efforts here by becoming a member of the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. I want to keep today's intro a little shorter, so I'm just going to say if you want to become a member, go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. And with that, let's go ahead and get into your first call, this one on Selling Off a Rental. Uh, and then what do we do once we sell that rental? Do we get another one? Do we pay off debt? I'll give you my thoughts on that after the call. Hey, Jack. This is Tyler in Ohio. Uh, my question is, should I sell a rental house that will net me about 35000 and then put that money on my house to pay it off, or should I reinvest it into another rental? So details. Um, had a rental I bought in college, has done really well for me, but time to unload it, and we are looking to sell it, but want to be completely debt-free, which we can do by the end of next year, save up uh, some more money and buy a, a rental at the end of 2019, or should we just put that money back on uh, into a rental currently and then carry a mortgage on both of them? So thanks, and I uh, love the show. Bye. Uh Just giving you a little glimpse before we get into this answer of what it's like to have a memory that will not let go of anything once it's actually written into it. That may not remember everything, but if it goes in, it stays in, and it's instantly recallable whenever something triggers it. Um, I always try to get more for less. And it may. when I heard this and I was thinking about my answer to it, it made me think of an episode of Friends where the, the question was posed to the group of friends, and I probably heard this 15 years ago, uh, if you were given three wishes, what would you wish for? And one of the guys says, I wish for three more wishes. And this is, this is what the character Rachel had to say about that. If I had a wish, I'd wish for three more wishes. And she was talking about how guys always screw everything up and can't just be happy with what they have. But I think that's actually a good thing. I think women should do the same thing when it comes to like important decisions like this. So my first, my first uh, thought is, can we do both? Can we do both? Can we take a portion of these proceeds, put them back into a rental, pay down debt, continue to service the debt, still end up out of debt relatively quickly? That's one way to look at it. Because part of why you would be able to do this is if you, if you, if you go to a, a, a bank, a lender right now, uh, that does mortgages, uh, you're going to have a really great story you're going to be highly qualified for your next loan. Now, that depends on something, though. Do you plan on doing a personal or a actual commercial loan on the property? A lot of times, the smart play, and you probably were doing this this time, was your, you could have more than one personal mortgage, and it's cheaper on interest and better on terms to have two personal loans. And you can usually do three, maybe four, living in one before you end up having to go commercial. But you'd have a good story if you went for commercial loan because you've effectively managed a property for a number of years, paid it down, exiting it with profit, all of that good stuff. Um, some dumbass uh, accountant might tell you you need to do a, a, a rollover or something. The IRS says you can make $250,000 on a real estate transaction, a personal real estate without paying no tax on it. So unless you're selling another house this year, you don't have to worry about that shit either. 
take the money and do whatever you want to with it to a degree, but can we do both? Now, here's, here's the real answer, though, because it's not a ton of money, so I don't know that we can do both. So this is actually what I would do. I would not feel like this money is burning a hole in my pocket. Okay? I really wouldn't. I would take this money and I would put it in a nice little savings account all of its own called our future decision account. I guess maybe it'd be a good decision for it. And I would start shopping other rental properties. And then I would find one or two of the best prospects And then I would actually have something to make a decision against. Because right now we have a decision that is paying off debt versus an idea or a concept. We don't actually have real hard numbers. And, and I'm telling you that if you were looking at it from this standpoint, there's enough properties in the area that we can bank on X amount as a down payment on the property. This is going to be a loan. This is going to be a note. This is going to be our rental. This is going to be our positive cash flow. Uh, this is how much that's going to be left over. We can shoot skate over in a debt. Or out of that, here's how much we need to put aside for, like, when they screw something up, because they will, and we have to send a plumber or something like that to take care of it. So there's our slush fund. Here's our little bitty slice that we can take for ourselves. And then you were you were analyzing it that way and saying, now with this positive cash flow, uh, we take you know a certain percentage of it. We keep putting that into our slush fund for the property, and then the rest of it goes over here and works against the debt and our current debt service level, what is our time to zero on the debt? And if you were making the decision that way, I'm not saying you'd go one way or the other, but I'm saying you'd know what way to go. And I think that's the only way you're going to be able to make this decision, is to have at least a concrete estimate. A solid swag. And sometimes I say swag, you're like, you mean free stuff? No, swag is a statistical, wild-ass guess. If you ever hear that term thrown around in budgets and marketing and stuff, a swag is a statistical, wild-ass guess. You need better than a swag at this to make this. Because right now you might be thinking, well, we could probably do about this. But you, you don't really know until you examine that market. You know, in what area do you want? I would want to, if I'm doing this, I want to move to a better area, a higher level of house than the one that I had last time, so that when I do this again, my cash out's even better. You know, what are the tax advantages of doing this? Because generally speaking, you can write these things off as a loss. That's why people make so much damn money in real estate. We can rent a property, and by being creative and legal, might I add, The property can actually put positive cash flow in our pocket while we lose money on paper. Or we make very little money on paper, pay very little taxes on it. right? And then, but we're still building equity. There's multiple ways that you earn income long term by being a landlord. Now, the other side of that is it's not that much fun as far as I'm concerned. I've done it in the past. I don't really like it. I occasionally think about it because it is so damn of an effective way to build wealth, but I don't like the job. You've had the job. You know you can deal with the job, so I think either option's open, but that's what I want to do if I'm you. I want to get a concrete estimate of what this new property is, so I'm making the decision against two concrete things versus one idea, because the other side is going to be, when we're out of debt, if we're going to decide to go back into real estate, how long will it take us to accumulate the money to go make another deal, versus how long it would take to service the debt? Because that's going to be what's going to do it for you, I'm telling you right now. If you find out that like 
you can go into this next deal and still be out of debt in a year. But if you go into just paying off the debt and then trying to reaccumulate the capital, it's going to take you three years. You're going to start moving toward another property. If it's about the same, you're going to have a little bit more head scratching to do. That's how I would do it. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. Matt from Missouri. Um, so I was looking through your Amazon reviews, and I have a kind of a request. I, I, maybe I didn't, I didn't find it in there. It doesn't mean you didn't do it. But um, could you review or recommend, like, a really great can opener? And I'm asking this because um, over the years I've bought millions of can openers, probably not literally, of course, but and eventually they all suck. So a really great can opener, and I don't mean like a backpacker's can opener or uh, you know something you're going to use in the woods. I mean something for home, preferably non-electric. Second, um, so I will watch a video from uh, Stephen Crowder and Alexa will say really weird things. He asks it, "Who is Jesus Christ?" And it says, "Jesus Christ is a fictional character." He asks it, are you recording me? She says, yes, I'm sending everything to Amazon. Are you recording me and sending it to the NSA? And it shuts off. What's your take on something strange like that? Do you think smart technology is being used to send everything to the NSA or the CIA or everything like that? I think it is, but just curious. Thanks. Have a good day. Um, I'll tell you on the can opener I really hadn't thought about it. I, I've not actually struggled with a decent can opener for a long time. Uh, we have one made by a company called OXO, and I, I was pretty sure that's who made it. To get you an answer on this thing, I had to go out into my drawer, open it up, pull it out, and then try to find it on Amazon. I believe I found the exact same model. I have a link for you. Um, it's an OXO uh, soft touch or something like that, and, and I have a link for you in the show notes. You can look at it. Uh, it's got a bottle opener, and it's not the little stupid ones on the bottom that don't work. It's a big one across the front side. It opens flat, laying flat down, so it works for opening bottles and cans. And I know there are some really junk can openers out there, and I've, I've had some in the past, and I don't even remember when we bought this thing, but we still have it, and I haven't felt like I needed a new one, so it must be pretty good. Now, on the Alexa thing, um, it's funny as I sit here staring at an Amazon Alexa, and you notice it's not activating when I say Alexa because you can change something called the wake word. But when I heard this, I almost didn't take this call. Because, I mean, I'm like, I don't really care what some company does with their little gimmicky stuff and all, but it was eating me. And I'm like, I just don't think Amazon would do that. I just think that's foolish. And, I, you know, I mean, like you're, gonna, like you're going to make a deal with the NSA to feed every word that Alexa hears and ship it off to the data center in Salt Lake City, and then you're going to put some weird thing, instead of just saying, no, we don't do that, right? I mean, this just seems like bullshit to me. So the first thing I want to play for you, this is me talking to my Alexa, and I use a different wake word. That wake word is computer. And uh, just woke up now, so hopefully it'll be quiet till I get this recorder shut off, and uh, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll play you what... Alexa said when I asked these questions. Computer, are you recording me? I only send audio back to Amazon when I hear you say the wake word. For more information and to view Amazon's privacy notice, visit the help section of your Alexa app. 
Computer, are you sending my information to the NSA? Amazon takes privacy seriously. For more information and to view Amazon's privacy notice, visit the help section of your Alexa app. Computer, who is Jesus Christ? Here's what I found on Wikipedia. Jesus, also referred to as Jesus of Nazareth and Jesus Christ, was a Jewish preacher and religious leader who is the central figure of Christianity. Christians believe him to be the Son of God and the awaited Messiah, Christ, prophesied in the Old Testament. So, what I've heard when I did a little research on this is, well, what happened was, you see, so Crowder made everybody know this, so then when everybody knew this, Amazon got pushed back and they changed it. So Amazon put all of this liberal crap and all of this anti-Christian crap and all of this like spooky stuff about the NSA into Alexa. And uh, so they, they did that. And then the first time anybody noticed it, they, they went through and took it all away. I, I want to play something else for you right now. There's a little video that I found called How Crowder Could Have Faked the um, this this Video. And I'm going to cut it short because you're only going to hear what Alexa says. Okay, you're only going to hear what Alexa says when he triggers it. But this is a guy that builds what's called skills for Amazon products. That's what he does. Like It's like a kind of an app development type thing. So you can actually teach Alexa skills, uh, which would be where to go to get a piece of information or something like, you'd be able to tell it to turn something on or turn something off that's outside of its kind of wrapped up protocol. And it's not hard. You, the, the first part of the video that I won't play because it's completely silent is the guy spending about 20 seconds to do this. So here we go. This is, this is what he caused it to say when, he was, when it was asked the question, who is Muhammad? The Prophet Muhammad is anything that I want to put here to trick people into thinking this video is real. Now, before I go on, I'm going to point something else out. When you listened to Alexa talking, where it was talking off its base programming versus it was talking off of a set skill, if you were alert and paying attention, you would notice something. The cadence of the speech is faster. Let me, let me, let me play a piece of the first one, and then replay this one back-to-back. Back. You'll hear exactly what I mean. She talks faster. Computer, are you recording me? I only send audio back to Amazon when I hear you say the wake word. For more information and to view Amazon's privacy notice, visit the help section of your Alexa app. The Prophet Muhammad is anything that I want to put here to trick people into thinking this video is real. Now, it's subtle, but it's there. And you might have to listen to it a few times, but trust me, it's there. There's an accelerated speech, and it's really not the individual words that are faster. It's pauses between the words. And it probably has a lot with how you structure the sentence when you're doing it. I'm not going to play Crowder's video, but there's a link to the original video that started the shitstorm. And it's him and his buddy sitting in front of a fireplace right before Thanksgiving, and they're all in relaxed mode, and they're just doing this off the cuff to show you how insanely liberal Alexa the computer thing is. And I'm telling you, in all of the answers, they have that accelerated thing where it goes really, really fast like that. There's no space between the words. It's just like plowing right through them, and there's no commas, and blah, 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 like that. And I'm telling you why. He's full of shit. It's bullshit. 
It's faked. Here's my last reason I think it's faked. So when they got called out for faking it, because everybody went to their Alexas and said, Alexa, who is Jesus, and got the whole you know, uh, Wikipedia uh, version thereof and what have you, um, they didn't get it. You know, they didn't get the same freaking answers. They didn't get you know, the, the same crap. They got the things that the damn thing actually says. So they came back out with a video to prove that they didn't fake it. And the way they did that is they showed the vi the raw video in the editing program and they played it so you could play it like it. I think it's actually in Sony Vegas, which is what I use, but it's it's a similar program if it's not Vegas. Well, that doesn't prove anything. And I think when people put up proof that looks interesting and looks like it's proof, but it's not proof of anything, they're generally guilty. And I don't say this because I have any kind of vendetta against uh, Steven Crowder. I've actually found a lot of his shit really entertaining. But after this, I find anything he does completely suspect. I really do, because this is fake. I'm sorry, this is as fake as fake gets. Let's move on to another one. I got a call here on making money with flowers, and it sounds more productive than Steven Crowder's fake-ass bullshit. And again, this is not. Once again, I'm going to say, this is not because I trust Amazon or Apple or Android or Google or anybody. It's because it doesn't make sense that they would do this in the first place. It's like when you hear a congressman said something, you're like, no, because he's a politician. It doesn't mean he doesn't think that. Just none of them would ever say that because they're not that dumb. They're good at staying in office, and this will get them thrown out of office. And when you look into it, it's always fake. It's the same shit. And before I go on to the next question... A little rewind here, back up. I realized something when I was talking about the homes. I said, you, IRS says you can make $250,000 on personal real estate transaction without paying tax on it. That is true. For an individual, a married couple, it combines just $500,000. At least that's what was the last time I checked. Always check with your own CPA. But here we go. Question on making money with flowers. Hey, Jack. This is Jennifer in South Jersey. My question is, will dead moms in pots Blow back the next year if I plant them in October to November. Uh, background is I live in a suburban area in South Jersey. I scrap as a hobby. As I'm traveling around, I see dozens and dozens of discarded mums in the trash, especially around Halloween and Thanksgiving. So what is the likelihood of these mums growing back next year if I plant them in October to November? Um, the frost is coming, so that's something to consider. They may not actually be dead. They may just need to be trimmed. Um, small mums easily fetch maybe three, five dollars around here. The large mums can fetch maybe ten or twenty if I put them in a nice pot. I can find all the pots that I need on the side of the road through the spring and the fall. So it could be a nice little chunk of change for some extra income next year. I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts. It seems like a sort of wasteful thing for everyone to throw them all away since they're perennial. Um, so South Jersey area, mom, do you think they'll grow back if I take the time to start planting them? I have plenty of space. Just let me know. Thanks for all you do. Long time listener, Jack. Have a great day. Well, one thing about me, if um, I have an appreciation for ornamental plants, I do. I like pretty things and whatnot, but if it doesn't cure disease or feed me, I probably don't know as much about it as I would otherwise. I, as soon as I hear something's edible, medicinal, livestock forage, nitrogen fixing, uh, fertility aid, uh, insect attractor, and eh, I'm paying attention to it, and it's just a pure ornamental. I don't know a lot about it. So I looked into this. And mums are considered a tender perennial. 
And there's the school of thought is the main reason that mums fail to act as perennials is they're generally planted late in the year. They don't establish enough of a root system, and therefore they can't handle the, handle the cold temperatures of winter. The roots die off and they don't come back. And the further north you are, the more this would be true. So what you're going to have to do is these plants need to be, I mean, number one, like immediately go into some sort of potting soil mix, whatever, where they don't die from being dried out and people throwing them away. A lot of times I see people throw plants away. You know, they yank them out of a pot or the ground. And they're laying out there with their roots exposed. So as long as you can get a hold of them really, really quick and get them back into some sort of a soil mixture, you're probably okay. But then they're going to have to be protected from frost and freezing, especially in containers because they're going to, you know, if you have a plant in a pot and a plant in the ground, generally one in the pot will die from its roots being frozen first. So what you're going to have to have is, you know, in a garage or some way of overwintering these where they're kept, you know, reasonably above freezing, at least so that the soil doesn't freeze solid through. And then they should come back in the spring. I'm going to say it again. They should come back in the spring. But that's what it's going to take. Now, let me tell you why I love this question. This is a side hustle, and this is smart. This is looking around, observing your surroundings, situational awareness. It's not always just about staying alive or knowing where a resource is if shit is the fan. Situational awareness leads to stuff like this. I know a guy that built a whole lot of trailers, very similar to the one. He got me the tires that I used to build my trailer for my tractor. Um, and it was because he was situational aware. He got a whole ass load of tires for like golf carts and electric carts and stuff like that for free. Really good ones. And uh, he got me really, really good ones. But the ones he was getting were not quite as good, but they were good. And it was because this company was getting the golf carts in and immediately upgrade them to the kind that I have, really nice-looking ones like mag-looking ones and all like that with bigger tires and all, because they were selling them. But what they were coming in with were good tires. And he was able to get them there. There's just a big pile of them laying there. So he notices it, goes in and asks them, yeah, we just throw those away. Really? So he actually started a side business building trailers for lawn tractors in my area. Do you know why? Because all the ones that you buy at like Tractor Supply and, and Home Depot and I have shitty tires on them. And with all our thorns and stuff around here, they go flat like every 15 minutes. No matter how much of that green slime you put in them. And these are beefed up and he can just weld together a frame real quick. Side hustles are about observing what's available and putting them together. So I'd be very interested to hear back from you if this works But you're going to have, from my understanding of moms, especially in New Jersey, you're going to have to, you know, provide some level of protection from the weather. But if you can do that, hey, yeah. You know, and that might even be something like just tarping it over or something like that. I don't really know about moms. But you can give it a shot on maybe a smaller scale this year. Maybe do a test group. You know, one that's maybe a little bit, you know, less protected and one that's really protected and see what you get out of it, and then you can plan for maybe a bigger one next time around because, you know, four bucks a piece, $100, $400. It's a car payment for the, you know, the month. That's one car payment for the month for the year for a lot of people. You know, a couple hundred of them, I mean, it starts to add up and be something. And it's, you know, it's that kind of money. You know, say about money like that down here in Texas, we say money like that is between you and me and the fence post, if you get my drift. Anyway, next up we have a uh, comment on Harbor Freight gas cans. 
Hey, Jack, Sentinelist in North Texas. Hey, I've got a potential lead on as far as the gas can uh, equation goes lately that you've been talking about. Um, they're at Harbor Freight, but hang on, wait. I know they're actually pretty decent. Um, it's a NATO-style jerry can. It, you know, from 10, 20 feet away, it looks like a NATO jerry can. It's metal. It's solid construction. The seam is actually inset. It doesn't even stick out like a lot of the uh, the Chinese ones on Amazon do. It has a plastic screw top, but overall looks to be in good construction. Uh, they come in red, but the most important thing, I think, uh, that I've been able to tell so far is uh, they're made in the USA. Um, yeah, they're at Harbor Freight. They're, I think they're $39.99 each. Walk in, use your 20 or 25% off coupon, and uh, that is a great way to uh, start building up that 12-can uh, uh, stack of fuel. Just thought you guys might want to know about that. Um, I've got two of them so far. I have not tried filling them with uh, fuel uh, yet uh, or, or have any long-term experience, but uh, I think it's, it's a worthy lead. Um, they look good. Check them out. Thanks a lot, Jack. Take care. Bye-bye. So I looked into these, and they seem like well-made cans, all right? Um, they are not gas cans, okay? That doesn't mean that they're not well-built as a gas can, but they are not the OSHA-compliant, because the government's the one that caused this problem. All of their new regulations around gas cans is what's ruined gas cans. It's what's made them a problem. It's why we even have this discussion, okay? So that's fine. But when I looked them up on Harbor Freight, I decided to look at the reviews of them on Harbor Freight. And one big thing I will say on Harbor Freight's behalf, they do not remove, in my, in my you know, opinion, after looking at them for a long time, they do not remove negative reviews. They don't alter them. They let them stand. And I always look at the positive reviews and like the one and two star reviews on any product, whether it's on Amazon or anywhere, you know, Harbor Freight doesn't matter. And when I read the one star reviews, what I say to myself, is this person a retard? Because if the person's a retard, um, I don't really care that they have a negative review. If their, if their problem with the product is it wasn't packaged properly or it was bigger than they thought it was because they didn't read the dimensions, or it was smaller than they thought it was, or they're angry about something, or they're stupid. For instance, that, you know, like I remember one of the grills I recommended, people were talking about how, you know, they just left it outside. They really didn't do anything wrong with it, but the wheels rusted off it eventually. It's because you didn't lubricate your wheels and you left it out in the rain, idiot. It's not a freaking car, it's a grill. Or they, you know, they, like, they were using the, 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 little fold-up shelves out to the side as handles to carry it, and they eventually the hinges... Well, they're not handles, stupid. They're shelves. I guess you don't understand how a lever... So if the person giving the negative review is a retard, if the, 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 the problem is that when it was shipped, the box was damaged, well, that's a UPS or a post office problem. That's not a product problem. You get what I'm saying. So when I read negative reviews, and it doesn't sound like it's coming from a retard, and all of the reviews complain about the same thing, I generally find them creditable. What I expected to see was peeling paint on the inside. Because that's the problem I've always had with these knockoff non-NATO jerry cans. And as I've said, I think you're just better off with plastic cans and fix the damn thing so that they work well with a vent tube and fix the, the nozzle, right, than, than buying a knockoff jerry can. I did not see that complaint. What I saw as a complaint was there's a plastic cap to these things. 
that whatever it is made of and whatever the seal's made of, it is not made to work with gasoline. And not long after you start storing gas in them, you end up with that seal failing and the gas will leak. And if it's just sitting there, you may not know this, but you're losing vape because as soon as that seal's there, if you've ever looked at a plastic can that sits out, you'll notice that it expands and contracts and expands and contracts. That's vapor trying to get out, and when it cools down, going back in, and you don't want it to go away. Not because we're going to kill polar bears with it, because that's important to the gas. That's what, one of the things that makes it store longer and better. And especially with ethanol being hydros hydroscopic and having problems with water getting into gas, you really need that seal to be sealed well. So it could be sitting there, and if you're not you know, sloshing it around, you might not know it's bad, and it's bad. On top of this, Harbor Freight does not sell replacement caps. So my caveat on this would be they may be okay in a decent bank for the buck. At $38, bucks, uh, you, know, you get a 20% discount if you go into the store. That's about $32 bucks when you walk out the door with it then or something like that, $30. Bucks. Pretty good for a metal gas can. It, it really is. Um, but if you can find another cap that will fit that that's not going to have the same problem, sure. But if you can't because it's some kind of odd size or something like that, uh, no. Nope. I can't recommend it, and and that's the research I did, and that's what I came up with. If you say you've had good results, I understand it, but for how long? And check and see how they leak, and, and let us know. Is there a option to put a better seal on that can? And it might become a viable option if you don't have any paint peeling problems over, let's say. I'd have to see somebody that's been storing gas in them for a year, uh, using them a little bit with no peeling paint. Uh, I, again, I've not had a huge amount of problems with seams on most of the knockoffs. It's been peeling paint and bad seals. Uh, let's take another one. Hey, Jack. David from Indiana, longtime listener, MSB member, calling about your show the other day about uh, Bitcoin, and you, know, you were talking about how it's digital gold. And I think you're spot on with all that stuff, but you said once again, that uh, Bitcoin is infinitely fractionable, and that is not correct. Bitcoin is divisible down to eight decimal points. Saying that it's infinitely fractional, fractionable suggests that it could be an inflationary currency because if you could divide it down to 20 decimal points, then uh, you could uh, basically divide it forever and ever, and that would mean that there wouldn't be a limit to it, which would mean that it wouldn't be scarce, and therefore it wouldn't be a deflationary currency. So just want to clarify that. If you have any thoughts on that, or maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but I think that's uh, I think that's the way it is. Anyway, thanks for your show. Love it. Take care. So, okay, on the first part, you're right, but it doesn't really matter in the context of what I was saying. This is kind of like if I had said uh, that I, I got some new clips for my 1911, and you wrote it and said they're, they're called magazines. You're right, but it doesn't really matter in, in the way that I meant it. Here's what I mean when I say it's infinitely fractionable. And it, it is incorrect if we're going to get specific. What I mean by that is for all intents and purposes it is because you will never get into a point where you have a shortage of Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency that uses this model of cap and fractionalize. Because it's so fractionable that for all intents and purposes it's infinite. And what I mean by that is if the price of Bitcoin went to $1 million of Bitcoin out at that eighth decimal point where you have a you know seven zeros and a one and that's a Satoshi, that's your base unit of Bitcoin, it would be worth one penny. 
So if it went to $10 million of Bitcoin, you would have a dime in a Satoshi. So for practical applications, it's fractionable to the point that you'll never have a shortage, and that's what I meant. So you're technically right, and I will probably change the way that I say that, though I don't know a better way to put it to kind of coin a phrase. All right, I'll figure one out so I can be technically accurate. So there you go. you got to put a feather in your cap. Now I get to take your feather away. I'm sorry. If it was fractionable to 16 or 2,000 spaces, it would still not be an inflationary currency. It would still be a deflationary currency. No matter how many pieces you can cut it up into, you don't get more of it. You don't get more of it. If, if, if what you're saying is true, the fact that it's fractionable out to the point where one Satoshi can equal one penny at $1 million for one full Bitcoin, the currency itself would be then deflationary or inflationary in that. Just less so. The, 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 the thing that makes this crypto, or, and not all cryptos, are capped on volume. But what makes Bitcoin and many forks of Bitcoin and many coins derived from Ethereum deflationary, assuming they're used, because you just can't, like there's, there's, there's cryptos, uh, SWAT for instance, uh, Swarm City Tokens, is capped at 9 million. But it ain't doing a lot of deflation right now, is it? Because it's not getting used yet because they ain't built out the platform. So it's going to take Swarm City making that platform usable to the point where people actually use SWAT for that deflation to kick in. But anything that's set up that way that caps the total number and controls the release thereof, or there are currencies that have been, we're going to do 25 million units and they're all released. Boom, Internet of Things, IOTA tokens. Um, I think that's how they were done, and but they were something stupid where I don't know that it'll ever be deflationary. It's like a billion of them, and there's a certain amount in reserve. Um, but that's all released. So you can never have actual inflation in that model once you get reasonable utilization of the currency because you can't make more of it. All you can do is take smaller and smaller pieces. So you get your feather, I took your feather back. It's a draw. Anyway, let's uh, let's take another one. This is on starting up an aquaponic system. Hi, Jack. This is James Smith of Tennessee. I'm thinking about installing my first aquaponic system, and I was wondering what you thought about my setup for a beginner. I was thinking of using a 55-gallon barrel for my sump tank, a 100-gallon Rubbermaid tote for a deep water culture bed, 200-gallon Rubbermaid tote, for my wicking beds, a couple of ebb and flow beds, and a 275-gallon IBC for my fish tank. I was wondering if you thought that was appropriate for beginner, and also what pump you would recommend for that system. I would probably bury my sump a couple feet in the ground. And the answer would be appreciated. Thank you, Jack. Well... If you mean what I think I figured out you mean, it's probably fine. Let me go through this, because I listened to it a couple times to make sure you were saying Rubbermaid totes. Now, Rubbermaid totes to me are uh, the kind of things that you put a whole bunch of shit in at Christmas time and put away in the shelf, and they're not really, really structurally sound. And I don't know that I've ever seen a 200-gallon one, and I'm not sure I've ever seen a 100-gallon one. So I think what you mean are the Rubbermaid stock tanks. 
And if you mean totes, I'm going to steer you right back to the Rubbermaid stock tanks. Now, the thing is, they don't make them in 200 gallons. From my knowledge, the structural foam Rubbermaid stock tanks that you can get at like Tractor Supply are made in the following sizes. Again, that I know of and that I've been able to confirm online based on what I knew. 50 gallons, 100 gallons, 150 gallons, and 300 gallons. All right? So... What I hear you saying is you want to use a 50-gallon tank as your sump. That's where your pump's going to be located. That'll be put into the ground some, and I'd say the deeper you can get your sump, the better. And then that's going to uh, be pumping water to lo multiple locations, but your fish tank's going to be an IBC. And then your IBC is all, in addition to that, you're going to have deep water beds, you're going to have wicking beds. And you're talking about using 100-gallon tanks for your deep water beds. There's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're talking about the Rubbermaid stock tanks that, that we're talking about. Um, and then 200-gallon ones for your wicking beds. So then I figure you mean 150-gallon ones because they don't make a 200-gallon one that I could find. Either way, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. They don't give you that much more planting area. They are a lot bigger, and you will spend a lot more money filling them up with both whatever kind of rocks and rubble and stuff you use at the bottom for your reservoir area, and then that dirt is not free. You can't just dig dirt up out of the ground and throw it in a wicking bed. You're going to either have to buy in some material, have compost. I personally use a mix of compost that I buy in bulk, uh, perlite, and uh, very finely shredded uh, wood chips that are sold at Lowe's, and they say it's compost. They come in a blue and white bag, and it says compost. And if you poke a hole in it like rude people do, and the reason rude people do it, rude people do this, and I'll put myself among the rude people that do it at times when I've never bought something before to see what's in there because it says compost doesn't mean it's not it does not mean it's compost. And I found out by not being rude, I needed a little bit of compost one time. I ran and grabbed like five bags of this shit. I got it home, I opened it up, and said this isn't compost. It's finely shredded wood mulch, really like little little squares. There wasn't a bit of compost in it. It was all visible wood. But it ended up being great for making a wicking media. Uh, so, again, I use perlite. You can buy that in bulk. Usually at your garden centers and stuff like that. Usually Home Depot is not the place for this. Your independence. You can buy a big-ass bag of it for like 20 bucks. Uh, and I mix it with the compost enough to really lighten it and the wood chips. And I use those same really light wood chips to mulch the top of your wicking bed. And I use 100-gallon tubs. And that's what I would do. Now, I would start to think about something here, right? You're talking about using a couple deep water beds. Let's say it's a couple, and they're about 100 gallons of water apiece. It's 200 gallons of water. 300 gallons, or 275-gallon IBC, so let's say that's uh, 400, uh, 475 gallons of water and a 50-gallon drum, almost 500 gallons of water. That's a lot of water for a beginner small-time setup. So you're going to need a lot of surface area. If you're going to get true aquaponics where you're going to put enough fish in there to produce enough waste to have an aquaponic system. Now, I got a way to simplify this. There's no doubt, and I have a, it's not really a sump because I can't dig a hole, but I have a barrel with a solid separator in it in the heart of my system between two IBCs, and it's running, it, everything else in it is either 50 gallon uh, Rubbermaid stock tanks for ebb and flow. Or 100 gallons for deep water or wicking. And then I use some of the inexpensive um, 21 gallon or 14 gallon concrete mixing trays for ebbs and flow. 
that uh, we get at Home Depot or Lowe's. And we've come up with some ways to make them more structurally sound. If you take a look at my latest video on my aquaponics uh, playlist, you'll see that. I'll be putting out some information on that shortly with a couple different ways to make those a little bit more structurally sound because they do have bowing problems and things like that. So you can do that, and I did that. I'll tell you what else you could do. You could get rid of the barrel. You could stop worrying about solid separation because you're going to get a lot of biological activity anyway, and I haven't found that much solid crap to come out of my system. You could get a 300-gallon Rubbermaid stock tank and make that your fish tank and your sump. All your sump is is the lowest point in the system. That thing, I believe, is around 27 inches high. Now, here's the thing. You want your pump in the system as low as possible because that lowers everything else. How high up your wicking beds and all that other shit are. So if you can go a couple feet in the ground, you can pretty much bury your 300-gallon stock tank in the ground. You'll have to run plumbing up out of it, but it's pre-plumbed. Isn't that nice of them? So there could be your return line and... Uh, you you know or or a delivery line or just a drain line whatever you want it to be uh, it could be nothing since it's your sump honestly because your pipes coming right about when you did that two of those fifty galloners fit real nice with an opening but cover most of the opening of a three hundred gallon one a couple two by fours going across they sit on there there's two ebb and flow beds that water's pumping out straight into them straight back in they're just going to town. And they're creating disturbance. And now you can send your stuff off to your wicking beds um, and to your deep water beds. And because you have that thing deep in the ground and that pump's sitting there, and I would you know, get it as deep as you can, but I would t probably take something like a cinder block and I would set that pump on top of a cinder block to bring it a little bit up higher in the water so you're not pulling water off the bottom. I would get yourself a five-gallon bucket I would drill a whole ass load of holes in it, and I would put the pump inside that bucket so you don't have any fish getting chopped up in your dirty water pump, and I'll give you a recommendation on that in just a minute. And you're going to have a good long life out of your pump. You could even put a uh, plastic mesh uh, bag around your bucket to take even less crap getting into there. And I think you would have a more simple system. And if I rebuilt my system today, I, instead of doing two IBCs, I'd have two of those 300-gallon tanks. Yes, they cost more. They're about 200 bucks versus for a food-grade IBC, you're looking at about $80. So they're a little bit more than double the price. They will last longer than you, and they're, they're lower. They get their dimensions by their, their, their girth. They're about five foot by five foot on the top. But the, the, you're, you, even if you set them on a, 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 a concrete slab, they're all, you're already able to get that pump almost to the ground level without even going below ground, and that's just by elevating it. And there's plenty of room for that to be your battery in the heart of the system. And let's say you didn't even bury it. Let's say you did put it on like a concrete slab or put down some pavers or something. Uh, this would actually make this a lot easier, what I'm about to say. In the future, you could just... Get another one, put it on the same level next to it, plumb them together at the bottom. Maybe put a water bridge, which is, I, I, I can't explain a water bridge on, on the air. If you need help with what that is, Google it. And if you can't figure it out, email me and I'll explain it. I'll do a video soon of that because that's a, a great little simple technology. Uh, that it's probably in some of my videos, but I'll do a dedicated one for it. 
so that there's a, a fail-safe. So if you don't have enough exchange between the bottom, you've got a water bridge on the top that's got those two. And that system's then infinitely expandable for fish, and it's infinitely expandable for crow beds. Just think about how much deep water you put into a system. Um, and, and here's how my rationale is. All my deep water beds have fish in them. If my, my raft beds didn't have fish in them, they would be 50-gallon versus 100-gallon tanks. They have 100 gallons because they have fish. That increases the fish in the whole system, and that makes the capacity work better. So hopefully that all makes sense. I know that might be a little convoluted there, but that's how I would do it. Um, in spite of the fact that I have some really cool project I'm going to try to get done this weekend that uses my, uh, my solid separator in a really cool way. When you see that, you might be like, I want one of those two. But it won't work the same way if you, if you do what I'm doing. And that's the other thing. Like, if you're going to put a solid separator in your barrel, and now you've got the, 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 all of your sediment at the bottom, how are you going to get that out with a second pump or what? I mean, again, I'm, I'm telling you one of the easiest ways you can do aquaponics, you get either a 100, 150-gallon, or a 300-gallon, whatever made stock tank is your fish tank. And you just throw some uh, boards across it and throw some 50-gallon stock tanks, and I'll start doing ebb and flow. You can do that tomorrow. On a system that size, I'd say any, any decent pump you can find will work. On a system like you want to build, I'm going to go back to my, what I use in my larger systems. It's a Lanchez dirty water pump designed for continuous operation. It's a beast. I burned up a bunch of cheap pumps trying to play the cheap pump game. To the point where Harbor Freight got watched everybody doing it and doesn't do it anymore that way. Where you can't get a, a new one for five bucks anymore. you got to buy a new one. And they discontinued the whole damn thing. Um, and and I, I went out and I researched and I found this pump. Again, it's a Lanchez dirty water pump. Uh, I'd recommend that. Depending on how big you're going to build it, you could get by with a Danner pump. But it doesn't cost that much less, so I'm not even going to recommend it for you. The Lanchez is about like $150, $160. Bucks. This is how much I like it. I have... Um, one running in my in-ground uh, metallic tank system. I have another one running in my main aquaponics system. I have a third one sitting on the shelf. If either one of them fails, boom, right? I'm building a new system. I'm going to use it in the new system. And when I take the one off the shelf and put it in the new system, guess what I'll do? I'll order another one. I have three systems running the same pump, one in reserve. And then I have the Danner pump. I still like it. It's running in my small Miyagi timber frame pond. I have an extra one in reserve. And if I, if I had the whole thing to do over again, they'd all run on the Lanches. If, if I ever blow out the Danner, what I'll do is I'll put the backup Danner in there and I'll, I'll buy, and, and, and when it goes, I'll replace it with the spare Lanches and I'll go to all Lanches. It's the best pump that I have found. Again, I'll have a link in the show notes, my whole review about it. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. This is Michelle in Tennessee. I'm debating getting my husband a gun cleaning kit for Christmas. I saw a nice one at Cabela's in a sturdy carrying case and wondered if they're worth the price to have everything in one place. Or would I be better off purchasing a higher quality, I don't know, bits and bobs and finding a toolbox to put them in? I'm kind of clueless, so what exactly should I be looking for in the, the cleaning kit outside of the, the rod, the bristles, and the oil? 
and since Christmas is coming, are there any other inexpensive toys, um, say under $100, that might be nice to include? Thank you, Jack, for helping us achieve greater independence and, and for all that you do. Thanks. First of all, thank you for doing that for your husband. I think this, this is awesome. Uh, I am going to say that most of the off-the-shelf cleaning kits do a reasonable job of giving you, you know, a decent cleaning rod, uh, some jags and brushes and stuff, and they usually call them universal. And what that usually means is that you usually have all the stuff in there to do almost every con common caliber and probably multiple gauges of shotguns. The, the thing though is none of this stuff is very expensive. The little pieces and parts and all. But they do add up, and building one yourself will certainly end up costing more money, but in the end, you're probably going to spend more money anyway because you're going to need more than fits in there. And, and like one of the places I think they kind of, it, it's kind of like, so think of it like a first aid kit. You know, they say like 800 pieces and like, you know, it's like 200 band-aids that are this size and 200 band-aids that are that size or whatever for a big kit, but like most of your smaller kits are like 175 pieces, and they'll have a little stack of Band-Aids and another little stack of Band-Aids and a stack of like, you know, knuckle Band-Aids and stuff like that. And I kind of feel like most of the cleaning kits do that. You know, they say you give you patches, but there's really enough patches in them to like maybe clean the gun once or twice, maybe three times. And patches are cheap, right? I mean, they just are. So... You can get a big-ass bag of, of patches, you know, for various sizes for not very much money. And the problem is most of the cleaning kits, you know, you get that big thing, it doesn't fit in there. It's, it's designed to fit the stuff that they put together for you. So then you're going to go out and buy the big bag of patches and we'll put like 20 of them in a little spot form or something. You see what I'm saying? Um, and then they usually look pretty decent as far as the cases, but in my experience, most of them are all plastic including the hinges and the hasps. And the thing about plastic hinges and hasps is sooner or later they inevitably break. And unless there's something like the hinges and hasps that are like on a, a, an igloo cooler that are screwed on with metal screws that can be replaced with either the same crap or better hinges or latches, then when they break, they're broken. Kind of see where I'm going with all this. So I love your idea of a toolbox. I don't have a specific recommendation. What I would recommend is going out and finding all the stuff that you want to put in it and then finding a toolbox large enough to leave quite a bit of extra room. But I would look for a basic metal toolbox that you can usually get for somewhere between $15 and $30 at like a Home Depot or a Lowe's. And I'm going to tell you to make this really cool. The, you know, for a cleaning kit, you probably only need to do something like a, a, a top opener with a tray. And I would definitely go with metal for this over plastic. Uh, or you can look at some of the ones that are basically like you got a top opener, a tray, some depth to it, and then a series of drawers. For a cleaning kit, I kind of like going with just a top tray and a deeper space. Because for every drawer you have, you take away your depth. Because some of the stuff that you, you want to have in a cleaning kit is like cleaning solvent and oil and stuff like that. And that stuff takes up space. So, And it just so happens the Amazon item of the day today, and I totally did pick this before um, I uh, heard your question today when I did my screening, is a 51-piece screwdriver bit set. All the stuff I'm about to give you I have links for in the show notes so you can take a look at and get your ideas. I would build 
the cleaning kit around bore snakes versus a cleaning rod. So if you've looked at the pre-assembled kits, you'll see they have like you know usually a three-piece rod, and it's made out of usually aluminum or maybe stainless steel, which would be worse. Um, when you're putting a rod down the barrel of a gun, a rifle specifically has uh, grooves in it that create spin on the bullet. And then the crown, and it's, this is all very highly machined stuff. And if we take a metal rod and it's banging around in there or going against the crown, which is the end of the muzzle where the bullet comes out, we can actually damage the barrel. And boar snakes do a great job. And there's a link to what they are, but basically you You, they're like a string, and then it gets bigger as you go, and it's got a brush on it and everything, and you pull it through, and in one shot, it pretty much cleans the barrel for you. And uh, the thing is, they come in different calibers. So you have to send those in around and find out. Maybe you want to pick up two of these and let them add more. I'm going to talk about how to let them add more stuff in a really cool way in a second. Um, you know, you... you, you uh, nose around a little bit, but, I mean, the most common rifle calibers that guys have are 22 and 30 caliber. So unless you know better, like he shoots a 270 or a 35 Remington or something like that, if you get him a 22, and these are about eight, nine bucks a piece, right? So you get him a 22 caliber one and a 30 caliber one, you're probably golden. But you might ask him, like, what kind of deer rifle he has or something, like, what's the caliber or something like that. Just say you want to know about guns or whatever, or go sneak and take a look at his guns. He should be where you can get your hands on them. Um, Boar stakes really aren't for handguns, so that's a, a different thing. But I would definitely get a couple boar snakes in there. Um, I would get some hops bore solvent, which I have a link to in the show notes, which this is for doing your initial cleaning, and some hops gun oil. I have a link for that as well. You, want, you, you know, I don't want to conflate cleaning kit with gunsmithing kit, but when you're doing cleaning, a lot of times there's maintenance and stuff. And, like, even people that don't get into big-time gunsmithing and they don't need brass hammers and soft-faced hammers and uh, bench blocks and all that stuff, sooner or later they're going to mount scopes. That's something everybody does. So you might consider a little uh, a little tube of removable Loctite. That's about four bucks. I got a link to where you can see it on Amazon, but you can get that at Home Depot or whatever. Just make sure it's removable. Um, Birchwood Casey Gun Scrubber is like a gift from God for cleaning guns. So I get a couple cans, a couple, three cans of that. And this is why I like that that toolbox because it's big enough to fit a couple aerosol cans of this stuff. And I have a link to my review on that and all about all of that stuff. I would get a good cleaning pick and brush set. Now, when I say brush, I don't mean probably the brushes you saw that screw onto the rod for going down the barrel, okay? I mean like toothbrush-looking brushes, but, you know, nylon, brass, etc., And a little set of picks that looks like an awful lot like dental picks, and it's what they're what they're uh, modeled on. And uh, I was doing a gunsmithing build out, and I kind of let that go to the side. And part of it was I was looking for a lot of stuff, and I finally found a product that I really like on Amazon for a pick and brush set. It's by a company called Bootsteady. And it's it's got a, a a steel brush, a nylon brush, and a brass brush, a nylon pick, and a set of multiple metal picks for getting into little crevices and things. And it's only thirteen ninety nine. And I've got a uh, I've got a link to that in the show notes today. And then even though I said that you should go with the gun snakes, uh, I mean sorry the boar snakes, 
which kind of replaces a cleaning rod. You never want to be without a cleaning rod. They're too valuable. There's times where you need to do, you know, you, you happen to have a gun that is uh, odd caliber that you don't want to buy a boar snake for. Or your buddy has a gun, he's got a problem with it, and you want to put a jag through it or something. Or uh, a brass case gets stuck, and you just need a, a, a rod to just drop through there and knock it out. It's, so it's good to have a rod. I think this is actually where I got derailed on my gunsmithing box project. I was looking for a rod that'll fit in the dadgone box, okay, um, without doing like a bore guide for it or something like that. Just don't need extra stuff. There's a lot of nylon-coated rods that address this problem with the rod potentially causing damage to the barrel or the barrel crown, but they're all one piece. And by having no joints, they're even less likely to cause damage. But it, I tell you what, most of us grew up cleaning our guns with old school rods for years, and we never had any problems. But it can be a problem. Cleaning from the breech helps. You have a lever action. That's hard, right? Stuff like that. So I finally found a three-piece rod that's coated that I'm happy with. It's made by a company called Gunslick. And I would add that to your kit. And then, as far as jags, additional brushes and stuff like that, kind of fill that out based on what he has. I didn't put any shotgun components in here because I don't know what he has there. But, I mean, you know, the right size patch goes a long way with that in of itself. You don't really need a brush for shotguns. Some guys like to run a brush through them. They do make bigger bore snakes for shotguns. I don't think it's necessary. But you can figure out kind of little parts because all those little, you know, individual brushes, they're a couple bucks a piece. But here's what I would do. This is what I would do if I were you. And I think it's going to be really cool and you're going to, like, be able to surprise them twice with this, right? So I would go through all the stuff that I've given you and go to the show notes and look all this stuff up today. Pick out the stuff you want. See if there's any other things you're sure work well. But make sure, you know, you got a couple boar snakes, you got a good cleaning rod, you got some good, you know, solvent, oil, and, and, and gun scrubber. Some of the other stuff I mentioned, definitely pick up one of the Winchester uh, screwdriver kits I'll talk about during the T-SPAS section, so I won't you know, labor it here. They're 12 bucks. They're, I'd get a couple of those to give away to anybody you know that's a handyman or needs something in their vehicle because they're just awesome. And I'll talk about those when I, like I said, when I, at the end of the show when I get to them. Um, and then figure out a budget beyond that that you want to put into this because it is kind of personal, and he knows things you don't. You said you're clueless, right? It's not my word. It's yours, so I'm not putting you down. But you, you really don't know everything he has. So what I would do is, you know, you can do it on an Amazon gift card, or you can do a Cabela's, or you can do, you know, uh, whatever's around, Bass Pro or whatever's around you, and do a gift card for the balance, and put everything together for him in his box, and then take that gift card, set it right up on the top of the tray, and say the only condition, honey, is you got to finish out your kit with that gift card. You can't go off and, you know buy a stereo or something with it, you know. And, and I think it would be really cool. Now, here's where I would put it over the top. So you're going to go to Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, and you're gonna, or Sears, and you're going to find yourself a nice metal toolbox. It's going to come in a nice, if, if, you, if you look around, you'll probably be able to find one that comes in a cardboard box. This is a toolbox on it, right? If you order one from Amazon, if you find one that you know will work, you can order it from Amazon, it's probably definitely going to come in a box that says toolbox, you know, multi-tray, whatever, on it. So take that box. There'll probably be some styrofoam and shit like that. So pull it out, take the styrofoam off the ends. Don't let them get broken like they usually do. 
Put all your shit in and get it all ready for him. Put the styrofoam ends back on or however it's packaged. Stick it right back in the box. Tape it up with packing tape and wrap it. So when the old man opens it, he got a toolbox for Christmas. Yay! Honey, open it. See? That's how you make it cool. Good on you for taking care of your husband, making sure he takes care of his guns. With that, let's take another question. Hey, Jack. I was just listening to a podcast this week, and you were talking about uh, vehicles in Virginia. I don't know anything about taxes, but in a passing comment, he said it's almost impossible to find a good, quality, reliable, used vehicle. I'll tell you what. we got a big old family. We don't fit in a regular van. Those things are expensive. And big 12-seaters, we saved $10,000 buying off of Enterprise Rental Sales. Something to think about. Ciao. So I actually think it's a completely valid suggestion, and that's why I played it. But I would put that with a caveat. I think it depends on what you're buying. I think in your situation, like if somebody's you know renting a 12 passenger van, they're probably not driving it like a, a classic Corvette, ripping around corners and, and and beating the shit out of it. When we went to North Carolina. I'd always heard that the the Cadillac uh, XTS, the sporty Cadillac, was a great car to drive. And when we made our reservations with National, and by the way, fine with who you buy from. Uh, Enterprise sales, great. Never, never rent from those pricks. They are the shittiest rental car company on the planet. I would not give those people. I, I'll tell you how I feel about Enterprise. If they were on fire... And I could put them out by pissing on them. I wouldn't. I'd piss next to them and let them burn. That's how. That's how much I don't like Enterprise. But if, as far as buying their cars, whatever you know, I mean, you buy it, it's gone. What, what have you? You're not going to have to have an ongoing uh, rental nightmare with these idiots. Uh, but I'm sure other uh, rental agencies do the same thing. So then, Wendy, uh, I rented this cat, caddy. I think it's an XTS, but this is a sport. The sports Cadillac. Because and I use National. If you're going to have a rental car company. Use National and, and join Emerald Club, which is free. And this is why you join Emerald Club. When you're on business, your time is money. And when you're on vacation, your time is money. Those are the only two times that I go to an airport and get a rental car is when I'm on business or a vacation. And in both instances, my time is money. It's either my vacation you're eating into uh, or it's my business you're eating into. And either way, I'm pissed off. I've reserved a car two months ago, and I'm sitting here looking at a moron Staring at a screen, this is his only job that he does every day, and he looks like he's, looks like he's trying to solve an advanced calculus problem to figure out where the F my car is. When I heard about Emerald Club, that all went away. It's better than Hertz Gold because it don't cost as much. And this is how Emerald Club works. You rent a car by a classification. Let's say a mid-sized car. When you get to the airport, you go to what's called the Emerald Isle because you're in the Emerald Club, and there's a certain aisle that all the mid-sized cars are in. They all have the keys in them. You go get in the car, you start the car up, you drive the car out, they take you, check your ID, and you go on your way, and you are you are gone before everybody else got in line at the other car places, including uh, including National, right? So when I was on National site making arrangements for a car, I saw that a luxury car was only a little bit more in a full size, and being in town, I'm going to be doing a lot of driving. All we're going to buy, we're going to rent at least a full size car. So I said, what do we get? Is it a Cadillac, you know, XTS, or if it's not the XTS, it's a sport. Here's the point. So I drove that car for 10 days. I drove that son of a bitch like I stole it. 
I beat the, I guess it's been returned long enough without a bill, I can say, I beat the shit out of that car. I saw what that car could do. If there was a speed bump, I'd slow down. If there was a turn, I want to see how fast the car could go around it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say that I was completely abusive to the car. I wasn't 25-year-old Jack Spierko abusive to the car, right? But I was 45-year-old Jack Spierko abusive to the car, and I sure as hell didn't drive it like I drive my own car. So I think it depends. I bet you most of the trucks, you know, you, you only do so much with a truck, but your, your smaller cars, your compacts, your puddle jumpers, as I call them, your mid-sized cars, um, anything kind of sporty, it was probably pretty well beaten by at least half the people that got behind the wheel. And 60,000 might be closer to an impact on the vehicle systems, 100, 110,000. But I think you're spot on with, you know, like something like a 12 pack. I just can't see somebody with one of these big ass conversion vans doing what I did with that Cadillac. But I'm going to tell you, that Cadillac performs. It was fun. I had a lot of fun driving that car. I don't think I'd spend $60,000 to buy one. Uh, but, uh, if I had it to do again and, and I have, you know, the same rental decision to make, I'll probably rent it unless somebody from National listens to this podcast and, Black ball speed or something like that, but I uh, don't think those cars don't get the shit beat out of them, um, depending on the make and model thereof. With that, we come to the end of another show, and uh, want to remind you about tspaz.com, guys. If you want to help support this show, the most pain-free way that you can do that is to do your shopping on tspaz.com, and it is Christmas time. I mean, we all know that, right? It's Christmas time right now. So odds are, in the next couple of days or the next couple of weeks, you and your family are going to buy stuff on Amazon. So go to T-Spaz before you do. It's all you got to do. Go to T-Spaz before you do. Check out my reviews. Check out the deals of the day, whatever. But as long as you go there first, we're in good shape. Um, and I do have reviews of the day, and I brought this one back around, and it fits perfectly with the question we had on gun cleaning kits because it belongs in your cleaning kit, your smithing kit. It belongs in your bug-out bag. Uh, it belongs in the, the probably the... the Uh, glove box of every vehicle you own. I have one of my Ford F-350, I have one of my Forerunner, and I have one of my boat. Because uh, they're, they're like 12 bucks. And what it is is a 51-piece screwdriver set. Now, it's, it's sold and branded by Winchester, so it's sold as a gunsmithing screwdriver kit. But you know what a gunsmithing screwdriver is? A screwdriver. <laughs> I mean, actually, it's got Torx bits, it's got Allen hex key bits, it's got Phillips bits, it's got... Again, 51 uh, pieces. Actually, I got like 48 bits. And it's a it's a damn good little tool. Or a damn good little tool set. Compact, fits in probably a big shirt pocket. Certainly would fit in a jacket pocket uh, to give you an idea on the size. I've never had one, you know, I've had one strip out on me or anything like that. Now, this is not, you know, high-end snap-on tools. Come on, it's a $12 set. But this is great. And I brought it back around because not only would it work good in, in the... Uh, and the kit we talked about for cleaning or any gunsmithing kit, it's just a good all-around set of, of uh, tools to have. Because you know when you, you, you get underneath something and you think, well, that's a Phillips, and so you go and you get your Phillips screwdriver and it just it doesn't work, or you figured it was an Allen key, and so you get your Allen key and it doesn't work, and you, you look in there and you shine a flashlight in, and it's a daggone Torx TRX, and you're like, what's a Torx? If you, don't, if you don't know, you'll know when you find one. It's a little star bit thing, and you don't have one on you. It, it, there's only seven of them in here, but it's probably it's probably one of those. 
It's just a great set to have. And this time of year, you know, I'm looking for the stuff for you guys. That like when you, you have like the white elephant gift or something like that, or you have two or three guys to get something for you. You don't want to spend too much money on it. It's something they would like. This is it. This is a great, if you'd call it a stocking stuffer. Check it out. The Winchester 51-piece gunsmith screwdriving set. Uh, and right now, I think they actually have it on sale. So it's a couple of bucks late. $11.99. I mean, come on. I mean, that's, that is a deal. So check it out today, and remember, as long as you do your shopping Christmas or otherwise at tspaz.com, you spend the same money and you help the Survival Podcast uh, continue to provide the information, content, etc. that you tune in for five days a week for. So that brings us to our song of the day, and once again, we are continuing our week-long tribute to Ozzy Osbourne. And John Adam doesn't know this yet, but I might punt his song for Monday and do one more, because there's an Ozzy Osbourne song I've always loved as a soldier. And uh, I just might, because it's not on his list, I might just uh, I might just punt and push out, not get rid of any of it, just push them out a little bit to squeeze that one more, it's number six in. This is a song, though, that, like, when I first saw it on the list, I, I didn't think that I'd heard the song before, but as soon as I did, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard that song. But this is like New Ozzy. It's like 2001, I think, this song came out. Uh, this was on the album Down to Earth, and the song is called Dreamer. Here's some stuff off song facts about it. This is Ozzy's vision of a better world for his children. He envisions a place where they are happy and safe. This was written about three years before it was released, but it took on a new significance after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. Ozzy compares this to, Ozzy compares this to John Lennon's Imagine, which contains the line, You might say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. The Beatles were a big influence on Ozzy, and they also became stars after growing up in a poor section of England. Another reference to John Lennon is the line, After all, there's only just the two of us. This is an acknowledgment of the Beatles song, Two of Us, although Paul McCartney wrote it uh, to his wife Linda. It's since become accepted as a description of a relationship uh, to close friend Lennon, and it was even used in the title of VH1 movie about them. Rob Zombie directed the video. Zombie toured with Ozzy the year of the Merry Mayhem tour. This is Ozzy's favorite song on the album. Osborne told The Sun that he had asked Paul McCartney to play bass on the song, but the former Beatle declined because, quote, he couldn't improve on what was already there. Pretty cool, either. Pretty cool or a nice way of saying no. Um, let me give you a bit of the, the lyrics to this, because, again, I mean, I think some of you are like, you love Ozzy, you know Ozzy, you're like me, you grew up, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you know, Ozzy was probably part of what you listened to, and your parents didn't understand it, whatever, but a lot of people just, it's all satanic, it's all bullshit, like, it's not, there's, you can't even find that if you go looking for it, but here you go, this is the, uh, the evil Ozzy Osbourne, what he has to say, gazing through the window at the world outside, wondering will Mother Earth survive? hoping that mankind will stop abusing her sometime. After all, there's only just the two of us, and here we are still fighting for our lives, watching all of history repeat itself time after time. I'm just a dreamer. I dream my life away. I'm just a dreamer who dreams of better days. I watch the sun go down like every one of us, I'm hoping the dawn will bring a sign, a better place for those who will come after us this time. Your higher power may be God or Jesus Christ. It doesn't really matter 
much to me. Without each other's help, there ain't no hope for us. I'm living a dream of fantasy. Oh, yeah. If only we could all just find serenity. It would be nice if we could live as one. When will all this anger, hate, and bigotry be gone? Yeah, guys, that's the real Ozzy Osbourne. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Gazing through the window at the world outside Wondering will Mother Earth survive Hoping that mankind will stop abusing her sometime